If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn um, to Luke's Gospel. And uh, Luke chapter 13. So this morning we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. It's a parable of the barren fig tree. And so we're going to look at this idea of the unfruitful fig tree. And uh, just unpack a bit of a story and see how that relates to life today. So if you have a Bible, it's Luke 13. And I'm reading from the NIV. And it's verses 6 to 8. And it reads like this. Then Jesus told this parable. He said, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but, it did, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. If not, then cut it down. So we're continuing a series of Follow Jesus, looking at Luke's gospel, and we're uh, looking at a journey where Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me. And we're, we're understanding that to be a Christian is a Christ-like one. A Christian literally means Christ one. And a Christ one is a someone that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are looking at this idea of becoming more like him, living for Jesus, following Jesus, being like Jesus, allowing Jesus to live in us, remain in us, and us to live and remain in him. And so that's the journey that we're on, and that's what we're looking at when we look at Luke's gospel together under this idea of following Jesus. So this morning, we're going to take some time to look at this story that Jesus shares um, about a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. And you can see there's a, a, um, a photo of a, a f- some fruit from a fig plant on the screen there at the moment. Jesus told parables, stories, uh, the, the stories that he told in a way that would contain a spiritual truth. And um, he told, told stories to people in, in, in a way using language of metaphor and um, type to such an extent that it got people's attention and it encouraged people to ask questions. The religious people of the day just didn't get the point. They just didn't get it. But it, the idea was that you would be gripped to, uh, what does that mean? I mean, what's the idea of a fig tree? What's the point of the fruit? What is the fruit? And so the idea, when Jesus told stories about fishermen planting, um, harvesting, farmers, fruit, figs, wine, uh, vineyards, it was, to, it was to engender um, a curiosity in the hearts of other men and women, people that were following and surrounding him, to such a way that they'd ask questions about life. What's this about? To such a degree, then, that he could share a spiritual truth. And every story that he shared had a significance. It had a a truth to it. And so this story has a truth to it. Something that I believe 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later today, something that's as relevant to, for you and I today as it was when he shared this story several thousand years ago. And that's what we're going to look at in the next few moments while we're together. So in the account that we've just read, Jesus uh, shares a story of a, a man who had a vineyard and he plants a fig tree in 
his vineyard. And the idea there being that the vineyard is well-cultivated soil. So um, planting this fig tree and other trees in this vineyard with well-cultivated soil would mean that you get a good crop. And uh, that's the sort of idea behind this. I understand. I, I, I looked at the Royal Horticultural Society's website, and they said that fig trees grow really well in the UK. They are a really robust plant. Uh, my family come from a little village in a place called Lentella in mid-Italy. And um, a couple of years back, um, I sat with my dad and his brother, who's now passed on, in his um, garden, surrounded by figs growing around us. Uh, you know, bigger, bigger, big, you know, it really, really was fruitful. But we're told that fig trees really are very fruitful, grow really well. In our climate, they will grow really well and bear a great amount of fruit. And in the east, they grow really well. Uh, Sue's nodding ahead because Sue comes from Iraq. And every time I talk about the east, she goes, yep, 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 that's absolutely true. But um, they, they grow e- pretty straightforward and easily. They're a robust plant. So they're very fruitful, put it that way. And they really do grow well in our climate just as much as they do in the East. Now, this is very interesting because in this story, this is a very unfruitful, it's fruitless fig tree, which was quite unusual, really unusual. There's a point to this story, you see. And we find in this story, there's this fig, particular fig tree is fruitless. It's barren. And you might have in your Bible the story of the barren or the parable of the barren fig tree. And it's planted in a vineyard, it's planted in good soil, but it's no fruit. And after three years, three years after planting, this really should be fruitful. Probably in its second year, you expect fruit. By the third year, it festooned, really, really fruitful. And so we're told, after three years, no fruit. Now, the idea being, if after three years, no fruit, you would get rid of this. And so in the story, the master says, get rid of this unfruitful plant. It's taking up space. It's taking up light. It would have grown with great amount of leaves. It would have been pretty huge, but there's no fruit on it. It's taking all the nutrients from the soil. It's just sucking up, taking in, but not giving anything, not giving out and giving anything. There's no fruit on it. And so the master says, cut it, dig it, throw it away. And the vine dresser, the person that is in charge of the garden says, well, no, just please give it another year. Give it the fourth, give it another year, and I will uh, add um, fertil- modern language, fertilizer, would have been manure, and um, not these modern sort of uh, grow in a bag, go down to Wilco's, get your fertilizer. It wouldn't have been like that, as you know. But uh, w- this idea of digging up the soil around it, um, putting on manure, tending, caring, loving, looking after, in other words, that, that there's, there's a possibility that this is going to bear fruit. We want it to bear fruit. And uh, that's the sort of gist in the background to this story that Jesus shares. Now you think, whoopee-doo, figs, big deal. Might get them, eat them at Christmas time, uh, that type of thing. What's this got to do with life today? Well, at the time, Jesus was talking and wanted to show a really important point, the heart of God. And today, there is a really important point in the heart of God and what he hopes for our hearts today. A um, couple of things that come out of this Um, story is this. God is interested in our fruitfulness, you and me. Number one, God is really interested that we be fruitful. Are you fruitful, therefore? God, the interest, the heart of God is he looks for fruitfulness. And in this story, this is the main point of the story, God looks at you and me as a Christian, and at a Christian and says, I look for fruit. 
God is looking for fruitfulness in our lives. The fruit of Christ, in other words, living, abiding in us. Second thing that we see is this. God is gracious. This is a story of graciousness, of love. Because the vine dresser says, you know, the master says, cut it, throw it away. But the vine dresser says, oh no, look, let's look after it. Let's tend it. Let's love it. Let's care for it. I've got, uh, a couple of years ago, we got some little apple trees and put some apple trees in our garden. And um, I, I went and bought them and put them in our garden. And they, they were not very big, really. There's not much to them. But uh, year one. Year two, uh, uh, had a, uh, no, was it, this is year three be next year. So this is year two. So year one, I had one tiny little apple off one of them. It was about that size. Year two... On one of the apple trees, I had three. Yes, whoopee-doo, I know. Three apples about that size, right? So year three, I'm looking for good crop. Five apples, yeah, I know. But I had this, I've got one apple tree. This is truth, honest truth, this is true. We have one apple tree that has not produced anything up to now. Not only has it not produced anything, the leaves look awful. So I looked it up, and there's some sort of, um, like roses get this thing called rust, or whatever it is, you know, you have to spray them with this stuff. And, uh, but apple trees get some sort of fungal in stuff, whatever it is. And you have to sp- so I started to look after this apple tree, and I put this stuff all over it, made a mistake, and left it in the watering can, and watered something else, and killed another plant, <laughs> which didn't make Helen very happy. So I'm not the best gardener in the world. But this apple tree seemed to sort of nearly cure the, whatever it was on the leaves. No fruit. And this year, no fruit. And it, doesn't look, it looks the worst for wear again. But I, I don't say I love that little apple tree. I'm not saying that. But I want, it, I want this little apple tree that I've bought, because I paid good money for it and I don't want it to go... <laughs> But I've got this little apple tree, and I, I, don't, I honestly don't want it to die. I want it to produce. And in this story, this is the, the heart of God. Now, that's my little old heart with a tiny little apple tree that I bought from Aldi's. There you go. That's where I got it from. Very good. Very good. Yes, Margaret. Very good indeed. They're not producing one that is. And I want, that to, I want it to succeed. Talking about my best friend, nearly. <laughs> but I want this apple tree to grow. But in this story, Jesus shows the heart of God. The vine dresser wants fruitfulness. And, and if, if my little old heart wants my... And I'm not going to get rid of my apple tree quickly. This is a great story, folks. Don't beat yourself up as we look at this story about being fruitful when you feel that your Christian life maybe isn't going quite as well or you've got some habits that are really difficult. This story Jesus tells is that God looks for fruitfulness in our lives We've got to deal with habits, deal with areas of unfruitfulness, barren areas of our lives. But with the good news is that we have a vine dresser who is loving and gracious and wants us to succeed. Our God is a vine dresser, not a butcher. Sorry, John Loft. I don't mean any harm when I say this. I know John knows how to cut the meat in the right place, so he's a skilled butcher. Me, I get the garden shears out and I go to town on the bush and... I, I don't, I, I'm learning that with roses you have to clip them at certain points. That's what a, and a vine dresser clips at the right point. And so God tends, cares, loves. And in this story, we see the vine dresser tending, caring, and loving. And the master saying, chuck it away, it's no good, it's got no fruit. God wants fruit. But the vine dresser 
Jesus there coming and saying, look, I'll look after it, I'll tend it, I'll love it, I'll nurture you. And this is a great story. So let's have a look at this quickly then as we look at this story together. So God is interested in fruitfulness. God is gracious, loves us, cares for us, and gives us attention. That's the good news. But thirdly, God expects fruit. God is looking for fruit in me and you. You can't say, I didn't know. Okay, so let's, um, in today's world, we talk about success and um, being successful. And we measure success about our possessions, our position, how powerful we are. And um, I, I believe that, you know, I believe in success, uh, but we're not measured by my possessions, my position, and how powerful or not powerful I am. We measure success like that, don't we? You get a group of pastors together, they say, how are you doing? I say, fine. How's your church going? Oh, good. How many are going to church? Before you know it, success is all based about what we do and what we have. Um, And to some degree, there's a little bit of truth in that. So I'm I'm not knocking that, and I'm not saying that that's all wrong. But that should not be my main focus of life. And in this story, we see that God, yes, he does look at success, but more to the point, he looks at fruitfulness. Then it's not so much my position, how powerful I am, or what I've got, my possessions, but my person, who you and I are, that really matter. So it's our person, the fruit of our lives, that really is on the heart of God. So I'm not decrying success. I'm not saying possessions, you know, it's wrong to have them. I'm not saying that, but that shouldn't be my focus. My focus should be my person. Possessions and things and stuff that I do for life, that's, that comes out of my person. Um, so this is the heart of God. God measures us not by what I do or have, but who I am. And that's where fruit comes in, and that's what this story is all about. Life is not only what I do, my success, but also who I am Am I fruitful? So it's not just what I do, but it's who I am. Success looks at what I do. Fruitfulness looks at who I am. So fruitfulness and success, I, I think they can go together. They can go together. But it's who I am that is our main focus. And it's interesting that we're called human beings, not human doings. We're to be. So we say it's not all about what I am actually doing and measuring my life and what I have. It's good to do things. It's good to, and it's not wrong to have, but that's not my focus. I'm a human being. My focus is in who I am in God, for God, through God, and in God. And that's the point. It's in such to such that one Christian writer made this observation on life. A man called John C. Maxwell, a leader to leaders, wrote this. We cannot travel without until we first travel within. In other words, what we achieve externally is founded and based what I am in my heart and in my life internally. You know, in politics today, somebody will say, look, how I have my private life is my private life, and what I do in public is another life, and if I do the job, then that's okay. In the kingdom of God, it doesn't work out like that. Um, Success is founded on fruitfulness, who I am. And this is what the story is about, and this is what God looks at. Now, this is really important. God focuses on fruitfulness. He is not taken in by my successfulness. 
how successful or not successful I am. It's not wrong, external things, but that's not his focus. His focus is on our hearts. So today, uh, we are so intoxicated by the outward, aren't we? You, you notice I'm being really at pains to say it's not wrong to have and to do. It's, it's, but don't be intoxicated by it. Don't fall for the lie that that is everything. Everything depends on my heart and who I am in God, with God, and bearing fruit in God and for God. And we'll look at that, what it means to do that by being in Christ. So um, that's what I want to address today. I want to ask the question, and it's a question of my own life, is uh, are we fruitful in God Are you and I fruitful in God today? And what are we doing about those areas of my life that are not fruitful, where there's no fruit, where there's fruitlessness? It's a mouthful, isn't it? Or where I am unfruitful. So am I fruitful in God? And what am I doing about those areas of my life that are not fruitful? And uh, that's what we're going to look at just for a few moments or two. So when we talk of fruit... um, so this is by way of introduction. When we talk of fruit, we're speaking of, what's, you know, there's a, a, a fig uh, there. Uh, and um, when we're talking of fruit, we're talking of the qualities and character of God through our lives. If we're talking about, are you fruitful? What we're saying is, do we have the quality and character of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Father God, ebbing through our lives? I'm not perfect, but am I growing in that? Am I bearing fruit, growing in fruit in the quality and character of God? Now, where do I base that on, you're saying? Where do you get that from? In Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, we read these words. The fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the word kindness means sweetness, gentleness towards others. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are things of the heart. They're spirit and life, and they're things of the heart. There is no law. You can't make these things happen. You notice that it says they are fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in us, through us, and not by ourselves, by our own works. So the Holy Spirit in us and through us. So how can we be fruitful as opposed to fruitless? And it's that that we're going to look at. So there's three things that we're going to look at quickly uh, in the next few minutes that I have, and they're up on the screen there for you, just um, before you. So um, if we're going to be fruitful then, and uh, the vine dresser there says, and God, the master, looks for fruit, we determine that God is looking for fruit. He's looking for those qualities in our lives. He's looking for us to, to, to... to not only take in, but to give out and to produce the fruit and character of Jesus Christ in our lives. And uh, that's what he's looking and determining for us. And that's his hope for us. Then how are we going to do that? So three things that I want to look at. First of all, we're encouraged to remain in Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to John 15, just for a minute. We're going to look at John 15, uh, Galatians 5, and Luke 3. I'm not going to go into great discourse on each one of them, but they're there for you, and you might want to note that down if you're making a note. But we need to remain in Christ, relate to the Holy Spirit, and repent of unfruitfulness. Three things that we can do that will help us be fruitful. It's not a definitive statement I'm making, but I've put it in a way that hopefully we can remember. Remain in Christ, 
relate to the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, and then repent of unfruitfulness. Remain, relate, repent. So if we look at the first one, what does it mean to remain? If we're going to be fruitful, how are we going to bear fruit? Well, this is what we need to do. And Jesus said this to himself. From the lips of Jesus in John chapter 15, these are some really well-known verses. You will probably say, he's just telling us stuff I already know. So I would then come back to you and say, well, what are you doing about it then? And so that... So, not in that horrible way, by the way. I was saying, what are you doing about it then? Didn't mean it quite like that. So, let's have a look at this together then. Um, in John 15, read these words. Jesus said these words. They're amazing words. These are, this is so simple. This is such a simple way of living and becoming like Christ that, hey, tell you what, this cost Jesus everything and cost you and me Nothing. Well, almost. I've got to give him my life. But this costs Jesus everything. And this is purchased for us. This is available to you and I. And I want to just encourage you this morning. We can all, and we can and should all bear fruit. All of us can and should. And I use the word can first of all, because that's my encouragement. And should is then my conviction. My encouragement is I can bear fruit by being in Christ. All of us can. That's my encouragement. But my conviction is by the Holy Spirit... I should too. Okay. So, um, I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. We're already clean because of Jesus has spoken into our lives. Therefore, we are fruitful because of Jesus in us, for Christians. Remain in me. Then he says something. You are fruitful, but you need to remain in me. So we, are, we can be fruitful. He says, you are already clean because you're a Christian, because I'm in you. You'll bear fruit. And then he goes on to say, now you need to remain in me as well. So remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. Uh, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear fruit, much fruit. That's amazing. We will be much like the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God and the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We will be much. We will grow much in this. Apart from me, and then this says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to do this on your own, and you're not going to do this when you're away from me. And if you wander, and you do your thing, and you start to just neglect certain things, and I'm not left in you, and you don't cultivate this. If anyone does not remain in me, if we don't cultivate this, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. See, Father God wants us to be fruitful. He loves us. He wants, he just cares for you so much. He doesn't want to throw anything aside. He doesn't want to cut and pray. He loves you so very, very much. Showing ourselves to be Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we are to be fruitful and to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. We will be growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like Christ. 
So that word remain, remain in the NIV comes up again and again and again and again. And that word literally means abide, rest, stay put, camp out. I'm not the best, I'm, no, I'm not a camper full stop. I just don't do camping. I'm not a happy camper. I had a bad experience in a two-man ridge tent. Me and Helen went camping because um, uh, she wanted to relive her, her camping days as a child. So before we had children, we took a two-man ridge tent, one of those tiny little things, and I and it chucked it down with rain all night outside, and a hedgehog kept us awake, <laughs> sniffing. I think it was a hedgehog. It was something. It was either Helen or me <laughs> snoring. Probably me snoring, actually. And it was going... <laughs> all night long. Helen... Stop doing that, I said. It was going <laughs> all night long. Kept me awake. And then to cap it all, it chucked it down with rain. I stood up. Don't panic, Captain Mannerin. And I did a fatal thing. Wasn't much room to move. And as I did, the inner and the outer tent touched each other. You know what happens, don't you? Water came t- trickling in. Got soaked, got wet, got cold. I think for the first time in our lives, we did a McDonald's breakfast. We, would, we, don't, we don't do that type of thing. In Ashbourne, I was traumatized. You can tell. <laughs> McDonald's, Ashbourne, and camp out. I don't camp. But, but to camp out means to abide, rest, stay, make home. It's talking in the era of the day. To remain, to camp, to abide. People were a nomadic, quite a nomadic race in the East. And so it means to put down your tent pegs, stay here, wait here, make this your home. And so what Jesus is saying there, if you want to be fruitful, you've got to be connected into the vine. You've got to stay, stop, stay here with me. Make me, your life, your home. You've got to be at rest, at peace with me. We've got to relate. We've got to be together. Make this, make me, Father God. Welcome home. It's not a show home. You can't come in. You can't sit down. You can only look. Don't really open the door to you. because you've got, and, and, But this is, come on in. Make yourself at home. Have a cup of tea. You put, the, put your feet up. This is your house. My house is your house, as it were. In, my, in uh, our family, uh, my family in Italy, my casa is your casa, my uncle would say to me. You know, and it's always, come and have a, have a, have a manja. Eat, eat, eat. Come and eat. My house, your home. Everything's yours. And there's this aspect of this is my place, your place. Stay, be together, abide, rest. So Jesus said, remain in me. That's how we're going to be fruitful. First of all, we have to learn to remain in Christ. Become a Christian. Jesus lives within. We are in Christ. Paul, again and again, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, and again and again, he writes, you're a new creation. You're now in Christ. In. Jesus is in us and we in him. In John chapter 15, Jesus said the same thing. If I'm in you and you are in me, and I am in God and God is in me. In. In me. It's in our lives. This speaks of, uh, of, of intimate unity of relationship, of being connected. He uses another language there. Um, in the vine. Be connected. Relating to. Joined together. Now, Jesus is the living word. And we have something called the Bible, which is the living word, the written word. So Jesus is the living word. He's described as the word of God in the Gospel of John. And we have the Bible, which is the written word. The written word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it points to Jesus, the living word, in the New Testament. The New Testament points to and the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And now the New Testament explains Jesus and our relationship with him and who he is. And, and um, so we have Jesus, the living word, and uh, the New Testament, the Bible, the word of God, as the written 
word. And one way of remaining and relating to Jesus Christ is in this book called the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but if you... I mean, this is quite a thin version of the Bible. I have a version of the Bible in my study. It's called a Newbury, leather-bound. It was presented to me in the Brethren Assembly where I first became a Christian. It's about three times the thickness of that. It's a massive, great doorstop of a thing. And I, when I first got that, it was that heavy. And I thought, this is a big book. And this is going to be an interesting book. This is a difficult book to read. And for many, many people today, because we tend not to read too much, we tend to just have a little soundbite off of Google, or we've, we've got a Kindle, and we read a bit of this and a bit of that. Uh, when you get hold of a, a big, thick book, you think, it's a lot to read. If you're like me, you go to the back page. I tend to find out what's the ending like. And that's the, t- the way I sort of work. But we sometimes think that it's a hard book, a big book, a difficult book to understand. But did you know this? If you were to read... 20 minutes a day, three chapters a day in about 20 minutes, you would read the entire Bible in a year. How about that? 20 minutes a day, which would cover about three chapters of the Bible, you could read the entire Bible in a year. How about that? How about that? I don't know how many hours you spend on Facebook or TV, and this is not a get-at-people time. I felt challenged by this. I felt really challenged afresh with this of renewing and remaining and learning to remain. So what I'm about to say has come out of a, a sense of fresh challenge over the last 18 months or so. But 20 minutes a day, we could read three chapters, read the Bible in a year. I have found that I have to have intention to give Jesus my attention. I have to intend. I have got to do something about it. I can have wishful thinking. Oh, I want to be more fruitful. Oh, I want to be a better Christian. But you've got to do something about it. And um, Jesus said, come and follow me. Jesus said, come on, that's why we're looking at Luke's gospel. And so there's this idea of intention, and then I give him my attention. Do you know, 20 minutes, three chapters, could transform. I would say, no, 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 not could. I won't say could. I say now, it will transform your life to remain. It's not the only way, but this is one great way of learning to remain in Jesus. You see, when we remain, we can begin to reflect. As you read, I found that as I, as I began to read, and I have an intention of, of reading and, and 20 minutes each day and three chapters a day, um, as I reflect, I ask two questions of the text that I read in front of me. I ask this, what did it mean to them at the time, and what are you saying to me, God? 20 minutes, three chapters, I ask two questions. What did it mean to those people then? I'll think about that for a few minutes. And then I asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me now? God, what are you saying now? And I have found a transformation, a, re- a renewal. I spoke to one pastor friend, and they said to me, you know, uh, that last year, I, and he went to a certain part of the world and went to a, um, a, a several healing day, which was fantastic, and I believe in doing the same thing as that. And so I said to this person, you know, I found a real revolution in my own heart. I've had a personal revival in, uh, since last Christmas. And, um, and I set out with a, a, a new intention to give Jesus my attention. And he said, well, how have you done that? I said, 20 minutes 20 minutes, three chapters, and I'm having a a personal, a gentle, no great voices, but a gentle and personal renewal. He said, that's fantastic. That's really good. Remain. Learning to remain. It's one way of remaining. Second thing that we need to do, so I put that out there for you, not that you must do this or do that, but I think today we now have so much at our fingertips. We have so many resources 
I would say, cut back on social media. Cut back on the amount of TV time. And uh, not much. 20 minutes isn't much, is it? 20 minutes is not much. And in that, you might want to do more. But in that, you can, we learn to remain. And as I ref- remain, as I begin to read, I begin to uh, abide in what Jesus is doing in my life. I ask, what does it mean then? What, is it, what are you saying to me? As I reflect, I get refreshed. I remain, I reflect, I am refreshed. I find that I'm filled anew. And do you know what? There is an amazing, it's letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. Second thing we sing there is, so we, we learn to remain, Jesus said. The second thing that we can do is, moving on quickly, is relate to the Holy Spirit. Relate to the Holy Spirit. So if we're to remain in Christ, we're to relate to the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 5, our reading of earlier on was the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, there is no law for these things. We can't legislate. I can't say to you, you know... Um, well, you could say to me, Adrian, you need to be more patient. I'm, that, I'm quite an impatient, snappy type of impatient type of person. You might not think that, but I am. My, anyone close to me will, will know that. And uh, you could say, but you must be more patient. But you can't legislate on that. This is something that comes from a relationship of being in Christ and in the Holy Spirit and in God. And so this comes as we're connected and relating to the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I can't make it happen. But I can give God my attention, focus, a new focus for my life. And so I learn to rely on the Holy Spirit in and through me. And I have to cultivate this. Just as the farmers, uh, the vine dresser said, we're, we're going to cultivate. Let's have some time. We'll, we'll dig around the, the, the vine. We'll, we'll add fertilizer. And so the, the, staying with that metaphor, staying with that picture, I'm to cultivate my relationship with the Holy Spirit. In other words, promote it. Encourage it in my life. You know, if, I, if Helen and I um, didn't talk to each other um, very often, we wouldn't have a relationship. And so, I know it sounds basic and simple and stupid, maybe, but it's talking with the Holy Spirit, relating to the Holy Spirit. And so we do that through the place of prayer and worship. I know this is so simple, but we forgot it in the 21st century That's why we're so unfruitful sometimes. And so this relating to the Holy Spirit comes as we rely on the Spirit. We cultivate, and we cultivate through the place of prayer. And so in my 20 minutes, there's this, and sometimes a bit more, um, there's this moment where I say, Holy Spirit, what what are you saying today? Father, what's the text? What what are you saying? The Holy Spirit's the one who inspires the word. And I say, Holy Spirit, what my life? I, I, so I, pr- I, I pray. Now, others of us might like to, we call it abiding or soaking or resting or staying in God's presence. Spend more time than that, then you can do that. But there's this aspect to prayer. You know, we, some of us spend more time. We probably spend two or three hours on Facebook and other social media and then two or three hours a day on TV. We could spend about six to seven hours a day on Facebook and TV. And 20 minutes is not that much compared that could transform the fruitfulness of my life. Cultivate. So there's the area of prayer. And worship. You know, today you can put on a CD in the car. You can listen. It's not worship. It's not only when we're here together and we're singing, isn't it? But when you're alone at home. When you, you know, on your smartphone, you can download off, a, off any phone today or tablet or iPad or whatever you've got. A CD. You know, we've got a Christian bookshop. There's not one, I don't think, in Nottingham anymore. 
but there is one in Derby still. And you can, you, but you don't need to go to the bookshop even. You now can just go online, go on Amazon and download or find something. You know, there is no excuse today with the resources that are now available. I find, I don't know about you, but I find I have some moments in my life that I have thoughts or, or, or I can have a down week or a down day. We, we all get those, don't we? And it can be a bit toxic when I'm thinking about this and I'm rushed with that and I'm stressed on this. And so for me, sometimes to put a worship CD in, on in the car, because I spend a lot of time driving around from here to there, it changes the atmosphere of my heart, my mind, and my life. It's not magic. It's by faith. <laughs> and when I have some of those, I would call it like a toxic moment, memories, thoughts, I'm engulfed, disillusioned, annoyed, depressed. I cultivate. I'm not perfect. I, we've got to intend. I, cult, I put something on. I listen to. I, sometimes I don't, we don't feel like praying. That's not wrong. We're going to feel like that. Put something on. Put some worship. Do something. Worship. Finally then. So we can relate. So we remain in Christ. Relate to the Holy Spirit. Finally repent. Um, in Luke, turn with me to Luke finally as we close in a moment or two now. Luke chapter 3. So we remain in Christ. We relate to the Holy Spirit. Now we repent of unfruitfulness. Are there any areas in your life and my life where we're not fruitful? It's called sin. Habits, old habits die hard. Attitudes. You know, I, I don't need to look. You, don't, you know straight away. You'll you, you begin to feel. You'll you're, oh yeah, that's... Look at this, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit in keeping with repentance. And so we're to repent of those unfruitful areas of our lives. To repent means to ask God's forgiveness, is to have a turn, a U-turn around. It literally means to do a U-turn, to change your mind. If you're going along one course of action and one way of thinking and one attitude, to repent means I will turn around in my thinking and my heart and my feelings, which is a challenge, and I'm now going to follow God's way. I was going my way, doing my thing, walking away from God. To repent means now I will turn and I want to go God's way. Uh, literally, and ask God's forgiveness, to trust in him, to give our lives to him, to repent. And it's key, and John said this to people who thought they were religious and they were okay. And he was saying to them, you were unfruitful. He used a stronger term than that. He called them a brood of vipers, the religious of the day. He said, there's things in your life that you think you're okay and you're not. There's no love, there's no concern, there's no care, there's no mercy, there's no God. You're living for yourself. You've got an attitude of unforgiveness towards. There's this habit. He said that to these people as they were following and reaching out. So we've come to repent. Now it's like cutting away the broken branch. And as I said earlier, God, this is the good news. We see that the vine dresser cares. We have a God that cares. God is gracious. In the story that we read, the, and Jesus talks about cutting off the branch, um, repentance does something amazing. It seems to release something in our hearts and lives. So if we, if we have a, an attitude or, or a hurt or a habit 
And we come, begin to come to God and say, I need your help, God. I'm, I've got, I don't know, I, a particular habit that's, that's difficult. I don't want to live like that. I know this is being un, it's unfruitful. It's me. I want to, I ask for forgiveness. Help me now. I want to live and turn and live for you. I want to have a sense of self-control in my life, if that was what was the difficulty. Repentance begins to do something. It seems to release us from that unfruitfulness. It will release us from that, un, that dead branch, as it were. And the vine dresser comes and he wants us to be fruitful and will come and tend you, nurture you, care for you, love you to the truly repentant heart. That's the good news. That's the good news. You know, it says that the vine dresser, I'll put some fertilizer around the base. Manure, muck. Sometimes life chucks muck our way. Sometimes in life we can go through some very dark Horrible places. You can say, tell me about it, Adrian. I'm going through some bad stuff right now. Some of us might be right this moment. Um, Out of those challenging, deep holes or dark places, good can come. Very often it's the person that's gone through a valley that is able to help someone who's going through their own valley. It's amazing. The best helpers are the people often that have gone through some of the deepest valleys, as it were, or the challenges or the terrible moments. Not that we have to go through terrible moments to be good helpers, but what I'm saying is that when God is there, when God is here, good overcomes. That's why we understand that God works together in our lives with us for good for those that love him and honor him and follow him. Even in the most challenging and There's some good news for us there. There's hope. If you feel that you've let God down, if you feel that you're in a hole, if you feel you're surrounded by muck, rubbish, and you feel the rubbish about your life, or you feel that there's a relationship or there's something that's happened, the vine dresser, when we repent, he comes and digs around and tends our heart, puts his arm around and wants to encourage fruitfulness in your heart and life. There's nothing too difficult for our God. God is a God of restoration, reconciliation, a God of fruitfulness. Be encouraged in that. Believe. I believe that with all my heart. I believe with all my heart. God looks, and the result is this. When we remain in Jesus, when we relate to the Holy Spirit, when we repent of unfruitfulness, altogether, these things are as a whole. I've broken them down in an easy, understandable way. Then the result then the result is fruitfulness. We'll bear fruit. We begin to become more like him. And that's what Jesus wants. That's his hope for you. That's his hope for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning, see our hearts. You do see our hearts, Lord, and uh, you care. I'm encouraged, Father God, that you do care. I know that when I'm going through the valley of the shadow, I don't feel that care. And there'll be some of us this morning that don't feel that or maybe are challenged by certain things or maybe we recognize it in our own lives their old habits die hard. Maybe there's areas of unfruitfulness. Maybe we feel so choked with so much going on in our lives that we feel that we want to be fruitful, but I can't because there's so much happening. The, the, the great news is that from this story is that you care. You want us to be fruitful, Father God. And you care so much that you will attend to our hearts. You will attend to our lives. You will attend to our spirits. You you attend to our livelihoods. Father God, you care. 
You're a good God. And your desire and hope for us is that we bear fruit as we remain in Jesus, relate to the Holy Spirit, repent of our sin. And so this morning we say, Lord, see our hearts, take our lives. We say, Lord, forgive me for any area of unfruitfulness, for any area. Release me, I pray, Father. I repent. I pray, Lord, this morning that you will help those that feel that they're in a dark place, a place where life has thrown so much muck at them. But out of that, Lord, would you rise up? Would you encourage? Would you lift? Would you reform? Would you bring a new day? Would you renew? Would you refill? Would you change, transform hearts, lives, marriages, homes, hopes, dreams? You're the God of all hope. And to you we trust our lives this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.